Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347 347- 9942981 If you call in you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Well, hello there. We seem to have solved the technical issues that we were having last week. It's the first time that's ever happened. I want to apologize again. Um, that we couldn't have our parents panel on this week, but we are going to have our parents panel on today. We have uh, two of our parents who've uh, already called in, and we'll be uh, bringing them on live in just a few minutes, but let me do my usual little um, intro here. We've got a few important topics that I thought we could talk about today, but um, even though this is our parents panel day, and we do this the first Tuesday of every month. This, of course, is the second Tuesday of November because, uh, well, the technology didn't work last week on the first Tuesday of November. But um, this is always a blast. And uh, while we began with our parents' panel last month with two parents, Sharon and Susan, uh, today we think we're going to be joined by four, although we only have two at the moment. But anyways, um, even though we have parents' panel day today, um, these are still your 45 minutes, so um, if you're working with a uh, kid who you're struggling to do Plan B with, trouble trouble understanding through the lenses of lagging skills and unsolved problems, trying to help him participate in Plan B but running into trouble, uh, trying to help the folks at school see the kid, your kid through the same lenses and try Plan B, trouble getting co-parent or grandparents or whoever, to buy in, well, uh, this is your program. This is why we do this every week, parents panel or not. This is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need. Of course, on parents panel day, you could get that help not only from me, but from others who um, either have been down this road before or are presently trying to implement collaborative problem solving in their own homes with their own kids. And if you're not the uh, calling in type, as always, you can feel free to email me through the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org. If you do want to call in, that number is 347-994-2981. And uh, we have three of our parents with us today. I'm going to bring all of them on the air live now. We have Kristen, 
We have Peter and we have Susan. We are missing Sharon today. Don't know what happened to her, but, um, well, maybe she'll call in soon. Welcome to our parents panel. Thank you for calling in today. Hi, Dr. Green. Hi, Dr. Green. Thank you for having us. You bet. Kristen, we have you too, yes? Maybe not. Maybe I've uh, got the wrong area code. We do have a caller from area code 603, and um, we'll we'll bring you on live momentarily. So I think we have two of our parents panel members today. Um, we'll have to find out what happened to our other two. Um, let's think about where we want to start today. I have a few emails, but as always, we usually start with uh, prioritize phone calls on this program. But let me ask Susan and Peter, anything that you all have on your mind today? Uh, I did have a question about um, uh, when I listened to some of your programs before, you mentioned that it wasn't very productive to focus when the child was acting disrespectfully. Yeah. And I wonder if you could um, expand a bit on that. Yeah. If I could expand a bit on the timing of Plan B, is that what you mean? No, one of the things that my spouse finds very frustrating with my older child is that he his manners can sometimes be um, less than desirable. Sometimes he gets frustrated and he sh- um, he shouts or he um, he can be quite disruptive. And um, I remember you saying that it's probably best not to focus on the manners and just focus more on the problem. Well, I think here's what I probably meant. Um, you said some key words there. You said manners. You said disrespect. And if I heard you correctly, you said when he gets frustrated. Yes. My question is this. Is he disrespectful or poorly mannered outside the context of frustration? Generally not. Then um, I would not be... uh, terribly focused on the disrespectful that your son is when he's frustrated. And now, of course, the plot thickens. And here's what I mean. If he's frustrated, do I also, am I also sniffing out here that there may be some adult plan A in the mix? Well, let me give you an example of when he might get frustrated. Um, He might be reading at the table or something like that. Yep. And if we even speak to him sometimes, he'll uh he'll snap back. Like he'll he'll say, "Leave me alone." And and he'll do it in a very forceful uh, uh, way. And no one has uh it it's just been a very simple interaction. And then um we'll just we'll ask him to restate it and that's when he becomes frustrated. And we we ask him in a very calm way. Um and it doesn't it doesn't feel to us like we're applying plan A although the no, reaction it sounds like you're you're simply um talking to him yes it doesn't happen um, that so often no. yep but when so we do try to insist go on good manners it is that at that point that um it becomes more difficult well and you know consistent with the theme that kids do all if they can we should also modify that to say that kids are respectful if they can be, in which case, uh, you know, what's happening is we have an unsolved problem, you talking to him when he's in the middle of something, apparently, although we could be more specific than that with him, 
And we've noticed that when we talk to him, when he's reading at the table, sometimes that seems to frustrate him. What's up? So to tell you the truth, I would treat that disrespect. I, to tell you the truth, I don't. You know, I'm not sure that I would use the word disrespect, and I'm not sure that I would use the word manners. It sounds to me like he's frustrated, and he's expressing his frustration in a way that is um, not ideal. Fair? That's fair. In which case, I would simply treat it as an unsolved problem. And now what we need to find out is what's going on, what is that about, what's his perspective on it, and come up with a solution that works for both of you. Uh, Of course, you and your wife would have to be explicit about what your concern about that behavior is. Um, And I suspect it's something along the lines of that you'd prefer not to be spoken to that way, even if he is frustrated. But I guess the piece of information that's missing is why, under those conditions, he is responding the way he is. And um, that's what, of course, you both will have to find out. Now, here's what I often hear, and I'm not hearing it in this instance. I often hear that... um, a kid is disrespectful only in response to the adult using plan A. There's a lot of, and in those instances, um, removing plan A and doing proactive plan B usually helps us get rid of the disrespect because the disrespect was a response to plan A in the first place. And when you're implementing collaborative problem solving, you're trying to get rid of as much plan A as possible um, and do proactive plan B instead. So it's in those instances that I don't address the disrespect directly because the disrespect is a byproduct of plan A, which we're not going to be doing much of anymore. That's what I probably meant that you were referring to. Make sense? Yes. Good. Uh, Susie, anything on your mind today? Um, I had a couple of questions, but I'd love to hear the emails that you were thinking of. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I think we have a caller from area code 603, so I'm going to prioritize our callers as we always do, and then we'll oh, move perfect. to the emails if we still have time. Um, so okay. uh, if if our caller from area code 603 does indeed want to be on the program and ask a question, you're on. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Green. Um, my name is Donna, and I was at your seminar in Guilford um, about a week ago, and yeah. I've been reading your book, and I've been reflecting a lot on what you have you said at that meeting. And uh, I had a question about um, viewing your child as being manipulative. You said if I am looking at him being manipulative or testing his boundaries at school, that I need to change my lens. Okay. My question is, is it possible for him to to still have lagging skills when he's at school and in one instance he explodes and in another he does not because he wants to get something else? Well, great question. And often adults explain why a kid explodes under one circumstance and not under a similar circumstance as being because in the one circumstances he wanted what he wants and I guess the explanation for the other is he didn't want what he wants my experience of human beings is that to tell you the truth we always want what we want in which case I would not explain the variability in when he explodes as a function of him wanting or not wanting something, I would be more inclined 
and I wouldn't call that manipulative, and I wouldn't call it testing limits. I don't think challenging kids test limits any more than the rest of us do, because I think we all test limits. Um, now, how well you test limits is a byproduct of what skills you have. Uh, I would say that there are some extraordinary limit testers out there, and they don't get in trouble for testing limits because they have the skills to pull it off. Challenging kids don't necessarily have those skills, and, and, and so I find that they are actually not very competent at testing limits either. Um, so I'm not sure that I would call them limit testers um, any more than the rest of us. But what I try to look for when a kid is getting upset under one circumstance and not upset under a similar circumstance you know, the situations in which a kid might get upset, even though they might feel similar to other circumstances in which they don't, often have subtle nuances attached to them, mm-hmm. in which case under one condition that feels similar to another, he has the skills to respond adaptively. But in another situation that while it may feel somewhat similar is actually different in some meaningful ways, it is those ways that tap into skills that he is lacking. So while I know that we adults often interpret that variability, he explodes sometimes and not others, and the circumstances in which he explodes seem very similar to the circumstances in which he doesn't, so we'll call that manipulative. I find that we'll call it manipulative part to not be the best way to go. I don't, Quite frankly, I don't think it's accurate. Um, I think that there's... That, that there are subtle aspects of both situations, one in which skills are being demanded that he's lacking, one in which skills are being demanded that he's not. What do you think? Well, I guess what uh, I want to have the lenses that you're looking at, but I have a hard time. Like, it, it seems that sometimes when he's doing his, it's work-related and it's task-related and he doesn't want to do his work at school. Um, I'll give you one example He did not want to do his writing assignment. He does not like to write. Um, We've already ruled out that he does not have any um, academic issues. He's actually been tested, and he's very bright. Um, But he just doesn't want to do it. And he will throw... you're starting to lose me. You're starting to lose me. Okay. Not not that your voice isn't coming through loud and clear, and and I always hate to interrupt. Mm -hmm. But there's phraseology that you're using and conclusions that people seem to have come to Mm-hmm. that are making me wonder. So okay. let me, we're saying he doesn't want to write. We're also mm-hmm. saying he doesn't like to write. We are also saying that he's been tested and given the clean bill of health. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's been given the bill, clean bill of health, then why is it that he still doesn't like writing? And that's a question that isn't answered at the moment. I can tell you the stuff that I don't like doing. I can tell you the stuff that I find most kids don't like doing. The stuff they don't like doing are the Mm -hmm. things that they're not very good at. And why aren't they very good at it? Because there's some aspect of it that we haven't yet recognized um, that is lacking, that is causing them to, that is tapping into skills that they are lacking. Mm-hmm. Let, let me give you an example. I, I shot a video of a kid in Maine that's going to be posted on the Lives in the Balance website sometime soon because it's actually a very good video of a teacher drilling in the empathy step of Plan B. And this is a little guy, second grader, uh, and the teacher is doing a great job of drilling for information, who was telling us that he doesn't like participating in reading group. 
And this is an interesting example because my usual assumption was proven wrong. Uh, my usual assumption is that reading taps into skills he's lacking, and even though he's gotten the clean bill of health in terms of testing, um, there's something subtle about reading that we haven't recognized yet that's getting in his way. And yet, when we started drilling for information, I asked him at some point in the conversation, is reading hard for you? No, I like reading. Wow, now now you've thrown me for a little bit of a loop. You like reading. Uh, then um, do, do, do you like reading to yourself? Yes. Oh, now this is getting interesting. Do you like reading aloud in the group? No. Do you like it when other kids read aloud in the group? Long pause. No. So you like reading to yourself. You're good at reading. I'm just gathering my data here. Mm-hmm. You're good at reading. You like reading to yourself. You don't like reading aloud in the group. And you don't like it when other kids read aloud in the group. Here's what we found out. When kids were in their reading group and they were, um, and if anybody made a mistake, him or any of the other kids, some of the kids in the group gave them a very hard time. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the instances in which it wasn't because the kid was lacking the skills and they hadn't figured that out yet. It was because there was something about reading group that um, he, he found really unpleasant. But the reason I asked you to pause is because we've got information to find out, and I wouldn't run with he just doesn't want to write. If we go with the key theme of collaborative problem solving, which is kids do all if they can, and we modify that slightly, as we've already done so far today once, Kids write if they can. Kids write if there's nothing getting in their way. So, you know, maybe the testing does say there's nothing academic getting in his way. Sometimes testing can be wrong, but there's still something getting in his way, in which case I want to do the empathy step, and I want to find out what his concerns are about writing before I come to the conclusion, which I would never come to, by the way, that he just doesn't want to write. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm sorry to have interrupted. Did I? Did you want to keep going? Yes. No. You. No. You can keep going. And I. You know. I really want to be able to do this because uh, I want to feel that for him, and I want him to be successful in his class. I just don't know how to get at it because he can do the work. Once he does do the reading, once he does do the the writing, that he'll look at it and say, "Oh, well, that wasn't so bad," and he'll do it within a minute. So it's it. not not that he can't do it. He just sometimes. I, I like the analogy that you used about a child with reading, and if he can't read, no matter what incentives you give him, he's still not going to be able to read without giving him the tools to do it. So I guess my question is: Can he have those tools? One, uh, can he have those tools and just decide at one point he doesn't want to put well, the effort into using them? Let me give you another example. Let me give you another example. There's a kid who I'm working with these days who, um, if she looks at a page and sees any word that she does not recognize, mm-hmm. she won't read the entire page. If any particular assignment doesn't make immediate sense to her, mm-hmm. she won't attempt it. So, But this is what I mean. I'm not going to assume that your son doesn't want to. I'm going to assume that something legitimate that we haven't yet found out about mm-hmm. is 
making it difficult for him to demonstrate the, the writing skills that we believe that he has. So in other words, maybe the testing is right. Maybe it says that he has the basic skills to do the task, mm-hmm. but that still doesn't answer the question of what is it about the task that is making it hard for him to get started, hard okay. for him to think of what he wants to say. There are so many things mm-hmm. that could be coming into play that are making him not right. Uh, boy, do we have some important information to gather. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, after we gather that information, this is why, by the way, because I've been gathering information about what's been getting in kids' way for the last 18 or 19 years, mm-hmm. it's been 18 or 19 years since I've come to the conclusion that a kid just didn't want to do anything. Okay. You've got some information to gather. Okay. Let me ask, but before you get off, do either of our – we have our parents panel here for, for a reason, and you know what? I'm doing all the talking today. Let's ask our parents panel, do they do you all have anything to add to what I've been saying? I, I did. I I just wanted to um, offer that when Dr. Green gives the child's perspective of how he or she is thinking, I just – think it helps us as adults, helps us so very much then understand and move away from words like manipulative or misbehaving or disrespect. I um, I just always found that to be incredibly helpful. Um, and the other thing is... Um, I'm a positive person, but as far as what your school, your school may may or may not, you know, always see eye to eye with you on your child, but despite, you know, a difficult road, if, if they do give you a hard time, you just, I can't emphasize enough that you have to be your child's advocate and the squeaky wheel, right? Even even though they have um, all these people behind them, and you know you're you're trusting them educationally speaking. Um, trust your trust your own kids Thank and you. yourself. And and I do have to say that my school. Um, actually has been trying very diff- trying very hard to understand him and i believe our school psychologist just took a class on loft at school he took one of your day seminars last week so we are right. trying real sorry. hard i can uh, so give an here's example the thing. well go ahead peter oh sorry from our experiences the caller's experience uh, really resonated with me about a year and a half ago we had a fairly similar situation my son was coming home with uh getting uh, sent work home because he wasn't doing it at school. And when he was doing it at home, it would take him one to two minutes to complete. And we were wondering why this was the case. It was, seemed very strange, something that was that he didn't find difficult, that he would find difficult at school. Well, it turned out that the, the book that he was using, was a, it's a language book, and it had photocopied pages, and the pages would be in a duotang, and the duotang would co- partially cover up some of the wording. And okay. at home, when when he, he had it with us, we would simply uh, open up the duotang and either my wife or I would look at the page and, and find it difficult to read. So we would take it out of the uh, the binder, the duotang, and present it to him, and he would do it quite happily. And 
at school, um, the, the the book was just clo- it was uh, preventing him from wanting to continue. And that, to make matters worse, there was like a word page, and then you had to fill in the um, you had to use the words on the front page, on the work on the back, and it meant constantly flipping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, at home, we finally solved this particular problem by photocopying the front page and inserting it in between each of the other pages so that he didn't have to flip the pages back and forth. And and when he went back to school, um, we taught him to open the book up. And he also had, he didn't have to do the page flipping and, and this particular problem went away. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, it until we got the input from my son himself, we, we couldn't solve that problem. We didn't have enough information. We, we couldn't understand why it seemed easy in one context, but difficult in another context. And when he provided that missing key, then we were able to um, approach the teachers, and, and it was very easy to solve this, that problem. Interesting. You know, what all of this says to me is, you know, there are, it so much depends on the lenses that we're wearing. If mm-hmm. we wear the lenses of, he's manipulating us or he doesn't want to, then that takes us in a direction that usually has us um, not inquiring about the kid's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. Uh, And this is, as frustrating as as it is, this is nothing more or less than an unsolved problem, a problem waiting to be solved. And when we have lenses on, that are manipulative or he doesn't want to, um, it's the way we're going to get the kid to do what we want him to do is through sheer force of adult will because, by golly, he's not going to manipulate us. And, by golly, he just has to want to. But when we have kids do all of they can lenses on, then we are assuming that whatever's getting in the kid's way is legitimate, that something truly is getting in his way, And this is why Plan B is not just a problem-solving strategy. It's an information-gathering strategy. It's an assessment strategy. You know, I shudder to think of how many important concerns we adults miss simply because of having the wrong lenses on. So in this case, and it's going to take us in such a different direction, depending completely on the lenses, And what's fascinating is there's really no downside, no downside whatsoever of assuming that a kid's uh, uh, concerns are legitimate, that there's something legitimate getting in his way. So to our mom, um, you've got some information to gather, eh? Right. Right. And and, uh, I agree it is helpful to hear your perspective on it and to, you know, we've just, um, we're just starting this process, so. I thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for calling. Um, shall we keep going with an email? Sure. Uh, here's one. Um, th- this is about siblings, and uh, you both have kids who have siblings, so we'll all pitch in here. Uh Uh, Dr. Green, your approach is a great help, and I would like to hear more about how it works with sibling relationships. We have two kids, a daughter, nearly nine, and a son, age six. Um, 
sounds like the sun shows the classic signs of uh, being explosive. Many of the triggers for an explosion comes from our son's jealousy or aggression towards his sister. Consequently, a lot of things that are trivial in themselves become important because they are a vehicle for aggression or jealousy. For example, it doesn't really matter who has which seat in the car. Our son has one seat that he regards as his and pushes our daughter off if she wants to sit there. Well, there's an unsolved problem. Do we tell our daughter to accept that it is his seat, avoiding a fight but subordinating her wishes to his? That would be plan C. Or insist that he lets her have his seat when she wants it, defending our daughter but provoking a fight over something trivial. And I'm, of course, adding my editorial comments here. That would be plan A. Similarly, we like the approach of putting things on in plan C to avoid pointless confrontations, but this causes problems with our daughter, who will complain, it's not fair, how come he doesn't have to finish his food or stay at the table or tidy his room when I do? So do we let our daughter off the hook as well, when in fact these are all things she would have no problem with if it weren't for her concern about fairness, or insist on our son doing them for the sake of fairness and enduring numerous explosions as a result? My daughter is a wise and sensitive girl up to a point where she can explain that her brother needs special consideration because he finds some things difficult, but her capacity for being tolerant is limited, and at a certain point she understandably blows up too. Then we feel bad about putting too much of the burden on her. Do you have any thoughts on how to get the right balance? Please. What a, what a, what a great uh, set of questions. Um, you both uh, have had uh, sibling things i think uh if i if i if i remember correctly what um le- what we've got two questions embedded within this email we've got um do we and i'm going to paraphrase here do we do plan a with our son and provoke uh explosions or do we do plan c and subordinate our daughter's wishes on things over which they disagree and um either of you want to weigh in here Peter, Joanna. Well, it's a, her children are closer to age than my children. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, mm-hmm. and it, it seems to me that neither of those alternatives are very acceptable. Although I can't offer the best advice, we do have sibling difficulties as well. Um, my younger son is less; is, he is more flexible, and the older one is less flexible. He seems to ha- see the world more in black and white terms. Um, and I, I can understand her point of view. When the, when the older one is having difficulty, the younger one will sometimes have difficulty as a result of the older one having difficulty. But also, he can be very supportive as well. So it's not it's not always the case that uh, the older, the less flexible one triggers inflexibility in, in the younger one. Um, what we try to explain to the children is that everyone is different, and having the same things is not necessarily we try to to separate that idea of fairness out, out of it. So, um, for when my older one was, when the children were a bit younger, and they wanted to have the same things, well, we said, well, you know, your your younger brother wears diapers. Do you want to wear diapers too? That w- that would be exactly the same, but that wouldn't be appropriate. And of course, he said, no, I don't want to do that. And he said, well, then we're all different. We you know we have to do what is appropriate for you. And he seemed to un- he he did understand that and and. Now that the younger one is growing a little bit older, he, he does realize that, that we have to treat each child uniquely and not exactly the same. Susie, want to weigh in? 
Sure. Um, I guess. I I guess. I would say to begin with, you. I would need to find out more when the sun is exploding over interactions with his his sister. Um, what provokes him, and maybe pick two um, two instances that I really wanted to work on, and that, at that time, and then um, choose Plan C for the other uh, situations. Just for now, um, I have to say. Unfortunately, with our middle son, who um, was the explosive child, I probably defaulted into Plan C entirely too much, and it came back to bite me um, a few years later after this particular kid was um, stabilized and well on his way to uh, learning these uh, developmental skills. Um, so you, you know, it's a tough balance. You, you, you uh, our mantra was and still is: fair does not mean equal. Um, that's a very hard concept for children to truly understand and accept, but um, I guess that's what I wanted to say. Well, and I, I think that um, fair does not mean equal means a few different things. I think that what I'm hearing in this first question is uh, the classic A-C dilemma and the absence of plan B. But Plan B is just as applicable to sibling interactions as it is to uh, adult-child adult um, problems. Um, it sounds to me like we have a few unsolved problems that are specifically <laughs> causing, um, that need to be resolved in terms of relations between the two siblings. And the truth is, I think that um, while we're doing Plan C, one of the two parties is, is, is happy and the other is uh, very miserable. And we're doing plan A, one of the parties is happy, or bottom line is kind of everybody's miserable. Um, plan B is where we're trying to come up with a solution that addresses the concerns of both parties. And so I guess what I'm hearing in that question is the absence of plan B. The good news is I'm going to operate on the assumption that the daughter, who sounds like the non-explosive child, um, does have problems that need to be solved, and um, those would be well solved using Plan B as well. Um, now back to fair does not mean equal. Um, uh, this goes to the fairness issue. Um, because she has problems that need to be solved, no reason to think that her unsolved problems are identical to her brother's unsolved problems, in which case we're doing Plan B with her on her list of unsolved problems, and we're doing Plan B with him, the explosive child, on his unsolved problems. And so they're both getting their problems worked on. But, you know, I don't know most families. In, in most families, the unsolved problems of the siblings um, 
are not identical anyways. So in that respect, families of challenging kids are really not that much different than families of not-so-challenging kids because the list of unsolved problems for both kids is usually different. What do you all think? Would you do the problem-solving separately with each child at a different time? Or would you have them come proactively and discuss with both children and do Plan B about You mean the unsolved problem that affects them both? Yes. I would be strategic about it. I I think that if you feel like you can get the concerns of both parties entered into consideration with them both in the discussion without lots of interruptions and without lots of upheaval, um, then my inclination would be to do plan B between the two of them on that unsolved problem with the both there. I must say that especially early on that is not my usual strategy because I'm not optimistic that the two can actually listen to each other's concerns um, without it getting so hot that plan B ends. So um, usually I will recommend that parents, uh, and by the way this is just applicable to teachers when they're doing plan B between two classmates, but this is the parents' program, so we'll stick with that, um, that parents do the empathy step with one kid, get that kid's concerns on the table, then get the uh, and separately, then do a separate conversation with the other child and get that child's concerns on the table separately, and then be strategic about what it might look like to bring the two together. Um, and what you've just eliminated is the need at least early on, for the two to hear each other's concerns because you felt like that was not something they were going to be able to tolerate. And then you're bringing them together on the part that you think they can tolerate. Um, if uh, you believe that they can be together, and of course that's your ultimate goal, is for them to be able to listen to each other's concerns, and then of course your ultimate goal is for them not to need you anymore to solve problems together, but that's that's you know off on the horizon at the moment. Uh, so you're making sort of a judgment call on to what degree do I anticipate that these two will be able to listen to each other's concerns, be patient in listening, listen well, um, not interrupt, and not get all heated up. Um, if the answer to all those questions is, yeah, I think we could pull this off, then I would probably do it with them together. If not, I'd probably do the concern part of Plan B separately and then bring them together if it makes sense to for the solution. I think what if you can't do a solution without having both of them um well they both they, it it seems to me that it, it early on um when you're getting the concerns you realize that the solution would require both of their cooperation how how would you at what point would you bring them together well um at the point that you think that you that they can handle it i mean the bottom line is the solution is going to have to, almost by definition the solution is going to require input from both because we have to decide, A, is the solution realistic, meaning can both kids do what they're about to agree to, do the solution, do their end of the solution, and B, to what degree is the solution mutually satisfactory, meaning that it realistically and logically addresses the concerns of both parties. Um, now, could you do that without having them together? Yes, if you wanted to serve as mediator and the two parties never actually came face-to-face. And, and I'm not usually a big fan of that, but I must say that there are some siblings that I've worked with who I, I didn't even feel optimistic that we'd be able to put them in the same room together, even for the solution, in which case I didn't. 
uh, we try to get a few problems solved without them having to go face to face, and then we would get problems solved as they as we began getting some problems solved, and they began becoming more confident that each of their concerns were going to get addressed. Then it became more possible for them to get together in the same room for the solution, and even more possible to put them together to listen to each other's concerns. So, you know, this is why I'm using the word strategic. We've got to be smart about this. There's there's not um, necessarily the way. There's what's going to work between these two kids. And, um, you know, truth is there's some siblings who I can put in the room together immediately, and there are some siblings who aren't going to be together for the first two ingredients of Plan B that can get together on the solution. And then there are siblings who aren't going to be able to get in together on the solution yet, but that's ultimately what we're striving for. I'm nodding my head, yes. Outstanding. This being web-based radio, yeah. we can't see you. <laughs> I, I have one more what, question. Oh, Go ahead, yeah. Well, um, let's say that you, you might find that uh, the fact that the one sibling has trouble hearing the other sibling is one of the unsolved problems. I'm not saying that, that uh, that's the best way to approach, but could you potentially use that as a um, as an unsolved problem when you present the plan B to the to the child? So uh, I suppose like... it could be handled that way. I suppose I mean I'm trying to think of what that would sound like in the empathy step. And it might sound like this and, and the truth is this is the ultimate litmus test is um, does it does it pass the empathy step? Does it fly? Um, and uh, here's what it would sound like. I've noticed that sometimes when your sister or brother is telling us their concerns when we're trying to solve problems together, that sometimes it seems like you're not exactly sure what they mean. Okay. Um, and here's all I'd be asking myself. Do they understand what we're saying? Does it resonate? Do we need to add a specific situation so that it resonates more and they can really sink their teeth into it? In which case I might add something like, like the other day, remember when we were talking about uh, clearing the dinner table and your sister was saying, ba, 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 it seemed like you didn't quite understand what she was saying. Um, and I was wondering, number one, am I right that you didn't understand? And number two, what was going on there? And now you've added detail that might permit a child to really understand what it is that you're referring to Whereas if you don't add that kind of detail, if you don't add a specific situation, um, they may not be able to connect with what it is exactly that you're asking, in which case you're likely to get either silence or I don't know. Um, but yes, I suppose you could handle it as an unsolved problem. The other approach to it could be that you handle it in the middle of plan B. It's not uncommon, as somebody is putting their concerns on the table, before we leave either the empathy step or the define the problem step, for me to look at the other party and ask them, do you understand what uh, your sister is saying? Or do you understand what your mom or dad is saying? Or, believe it or not, to look at parents and say, do you understand what your child is saying? So you could treat it as a separate unsolved problem. You could also uh, double-check in the midst of Plan B, especially if you're sensing that one of the two parties actually isn't understanding what the other party is saying. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Either way works. Uh, either way, you're looking for information, and either way, you're looking to understand what uh, the other child, what, what uh, the other kid is saying. Uh, sibling and sibling plan B is among the most beautiful plan B there is. And in those instances, the adult is the facilitator because the adult actually doesn't have a concern to put on the table. 
um, the adult is just facilitating getting the concerns of both parties on the table instead of um, having a concern to put on the table themselves. Uh, have, uh, we only have about a minute left in the program, but brief, quickly, have, have either of you done that successfully? Has that been something planned before? Sure. Yeah, that's, um, we've had success with that as well. Good. Any and any uh, any hurdles you want to alert people to in in thirty seconds or less because we have to end the program quickly. Um, just time and patience and hang in there with it. It's it it works, but it's it's um, it's difficult when you're trudging through it. I would say don't be too quick to try to come to solutions to really get the uh, concerns on the table. And just take the time to do that will help more than it, it really uh, lays the foundation to a good solution later. Outstanding. A, a good mantra to end our program on because it's truth is it's true for all Plan Bs. Um, I want to thank you both for being on the program again today and, and apologize again for the inconvenience of last week and Thanks for changing your schedules to be able to participate uh, this week. Um, and I want to thank uh, all of those of you who are listening, whether live or um, in the archive version. Hope the program has been helpful to you. We'll be back with our parent panel again in a month, first Tuesday of next month. And we'll be back with the right for program next week. Hope you'll join us then. Take care. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.